This week's guest is Heather Gwaltney, mindfulness teacher and author of Be Kind and Take No Shit, A Woman's Guide to Balance, Power, and Joy. It's a lighthearted and down-to-earth approach to inspiring women to follow their innate leadership styles and take no guff about it. In the book and in her practice as a mindfulness teacher, Heather brings the sciences of emotional intelligence and mindfulness to bear to help women be healthier, more balanced, with healthier boundaries to be more authentic in their management styles. Take a listen and let us know what you think. Heather, it's so great to have you on the show. You know, we've had some really wonderful discussions, and I just adore your book. I think that, you know, the title is just brilliant, and I just really have enjoyed reading through it. So tell me a little bit about where Be Kind and Take No Shit, A Women's Guide to Balance, Power, and Joy came from for you. Okay, well, it's a very personal book. The title itself talks or it speaks to balance, right? So to be kind and a loving person and have healthy boundaries and not let people walk all over you. So that kind of mentality is is how I live my life or how I intend to try to on a daily basis practice, that sort of thing. So there's that piece. Also, I've worked in the private sector, nonprofit sector for over 20 years. So part of my life has been doing business and nonprofit work. And then another part of my life over 20 years has been in a spiritual world. And that has meant doing a lot of energy work, a lot of mindfulness meditation. So I really wanted to take all of this education, all of this experience and integrate the two to support women um, so that they can be in more partnership with men, particularly in leadership positions. So the book is intended to help women be healthier, more balanced, have healthier boundaries, to be more authentic, to know what their authenticity is, and then be able to offer the world really what they have. Um, I call myself a feminist, and I define that as just someone who believes women should have the same rights as men, and I speak my truth about it. Mm. Um, So I really support other women. I support men too. I just think that women need to rise up more in our society so that men and women can be in partnership to solve the world's problems. There there are a plethora of problems to solve, right? So we all need to be working at our highest capacity. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I've spoken to a fair number of women leaders in the past, and I might even be one myself, and one of the things that I've realized over time is that women are fixers. Number one, if there's a problem, you know, we want to solve it, we want to fix it. And as leaders, that isn't always our best response, especially when dealing with, you know, a problem that a fellow leader who happens to be male has. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about setting those boundaries and fixing or not fixing. I'd love that. Okay. So let me say something good about being a quote unquote fixer. It, it, it um, a fixer mentality 
makes you good at problem solving and usually leads to a sense of being productive and getting things done, right? So women are very, very good at that. At the same time, when when we kind of define our value as providing support for other people and fixing other people's problems, that creates um, a little bit more of for other being of yourself with that other person. Mm-hmm. So the and so you asked me about boundaries, right? Yeah, and how that's helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that right? Okay, so where boundaries come in is you can actually see where the merging is taking place. So if you are overgiving, if you are defining your value by helping others and you feel resentful, the, um, that's when you know you need to stop, breathe, and take a look at what your current experience is. Current experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of leadership, um, because our country, particularly in the Western world, we have, we're dominated by male leadership, we also assimilate. So I, I say that the minority always assimilates to the majority. So um, if you have a management team and there are 10 people on the management team, nine are men and one is a woman, that one woman is going to do what she has to do to survive in the male-dominated environment, just like um, if someone comes to the U.S. from a different country, they will try to assimilate to the U.S. culture. So the minority almost always assimilates to the majority. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for female leadership to be effective, women need to have the boundaries and they need to be authentic, but they need to know what their authenticity is. So they can see that, hmm, this male leadership is different than my truth. What is my truth? How do I speak my truth and do things for the greater good, um, my highest good and the greater good? Mm, Yeah, yeah. And staying true to that can be very challenging for a number of reasons. One being that being um, collaborative in the way that women tend to work And also that combined with that deep desire to solve problems can get us a load of the work that nobody else wants to do. And it's not necessarily because we want to do the work nobody else wants to do, but because that's what women end up getting because they accept that. And so is one of the boundaries that we need to set up saying, yeah, that's not really my job more often than we do. Absolutely. That's, that's the boundary setting, but you have to not, you don't have to, but it's much easier to see where your boundary is when you slow down and Mm -hmm. slowing down is so difficult, particularly in business settings where, you know, the due date was yesterday (laughs) and there's so much an emphasis on metrics, et cetera. So there's this um, constant push for sales, for numbers, this kind of thing. And as opposed to just stepping back and stopping. Um, And, you know, women are very social beings. 
the, the collaboration piece, I think, is, is actually a success factor. So the collaboration piece is very, it's a strength of, of what's considered the archetype of female leadership. Um, so that's the, that's the positive, strong part. The piece that we just need to work on in general is that boundary and believing that you can be a leader. Like if you're a leader, you don't have to be the kind of male leader that you may be seeing. Mm-hmm. Like your leadership doesn't have to be defined a certain way. You know, you can be your own authentic leader. And what does that look like? And that might be very satisfying for you and helpful to the organization that you're in. You know, so you also have to believe in yourself and your own abilities. Right, right. And, and that leads into saying, asking for what you need is okay, Having that, allowing that vulnerability, which again is not always a male trait, to allow that vulnerability about this is what I need. But so then I think women also kind of fall into that role. The higher you get up in the leadership ranks, the less likely you are to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's also being in your power is, is telling someone what it is you need them to do and what your needs are. Um, I, my experience, and this is for me too, is that women will sometimes internalize. So rather than be directive and ask for what they need, they just try to take care of everything themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to look out for too. So asking for what you need maybe is, is vulnerable, but I, I think it's also being in your power. Yeah, I think there's definitely two ways to look at that. Um, You know, when we're in a conversation with someone and saying, okay, what I really need to understand this is this information Mm -hmm. rather than what I really need is a hug right now. (laughs) You know, I mean, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to say there's anything wrong with that, but it's a stereotype that if a man sees that, and, and I like men, I really do, but if you know that opens up a vulnerability that can really be exploited at some point when you're really vulnerable, they're gonna bring that up. So you know, being able to say, yeah, what I need right now is to have you explain this exact thing to me in you know, terms that um, I can use, you know, to explain to somebody else or, or whatever that is. I think, um, oftentimes women are categorized as leaders in two different ways that are pretty diametrically opposed. There's that real soft, oh, she just needs so much all the time. Mm -hmm. And then they call you a bitch. And why is that? Why, why does that happen and what can women leaders do to really maintain that strength without being in bitch mode and allow vulnerability without being seen as weak? Big question. Right. That is a big question. I can share my opinion. I don't have the solution for that. Oh. <laughs> exclusively. But uh, there, I think there, I think that, <laughs> sorry to disappoint there. Um, there are a couple of things going on. I think, well, one thing that, comes up for me is that people have a very hard time seeing a woman or a a person of color uh, showing anger. Um, And we're here to make them comfortable and happy, making a a man's life easier. 
she's criticized for that. And so that's a societal problem. And someone just has to really believe in, in what they're saying and doing to deal with pushback. So there's, there's going to be a certain amount of pushback there sometimes, right? So there's right. that piece. Another piece is in order to survive thing, the dissonance. So it will feel what's authentic to them. That's where wellness meditation with yourself and getting guidance from inside as opposed to external um, messaging, uh, behaviors, that sort of thing. So you look inside for answers more than you look outside for answers and guidance. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, it's, I mean, it's about trusting yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Really getting right. down and, to that grounded self. Exactly. And reconnecting. Like the mindfulness meditation, it's the best to do it once, even twice a day. Some people aren't there yet, so you always meet yourself where you are. But just continuing to reconnect with yourself. And, and it, it's more challenging, I think, for women because we're told to find our, our answers somewhere else. Mm. So we're really going against the grain <laughs> by practicing that. Yeah. And actually, I think that's something that men can learn from as well, that really, you know, just getting grounded. And I think that impulsive decisions made by either sex are often because we haven't taken that moment to center. Um, for me, it's take a breath. That very short pause has so much power, both for yourself and for the person that you're working with. Right, right. And and with the, the mindfulness way of meditation, I mentioned that, you know, you always meet yourself where you're at. So taking a pause can mean that you stop what you're doing and you just take three long, deep breaths. So the, they call it the power of the pause. So it could be just like that. It, it can be you're driving, right? And you're feeling stress, anxiety, road rage, whatever it is you're experiencing. <laughs> and you can just breathe with your experience. So your eyes are open clearly because you're driving, but you can just focus on your breathing and do the same. Mm -hmm. Three long, deep breaths in the middle of an experience. If you have a newborn baby, you can hold your baby and just focus on your breathing for three to five breaths and slow down. So you can practice mindfulness on, you know, on a cushion, walking, being silent, or, and you can practice it in the middle of an activity, right? Right. right. Yeah. And that, that pause is so powerful because it's just time to check in with yourself and it's perfectly appropriate to just check in and go, okay, what am I feeling right now? Oh, I'm stressed or distracted or anxious. Mm -hmm. Dealing with that instead of, you know, sometimes we will find ourselves being anxious and get defensive and then things just go to hell in a handbasket real quick. Right. Yeah. If you just stop, like if you feel defensive or you feel angry or hurt, all of those things are very natural feelings. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're nature's way of telling you something is either wrong or something is right. 
Um, the, the mindfulness is, is, I call it an intervention. So it just allows you to respond in a, in a wise way mm. um, so that you don't re or that we don't react knee jerk. And again, this is really challenging. This is counterculture because it's opposite of the, the Western type of programming, which is to respond immediately, um, assert yourself, um, push you know, through be, it. Yes, exactly. And there's a time for that, but it's to push through it, but, but to maybe do so in a wise way. Like if you push yourself, at least think about, you know, what you're doing before you do it. Yeah. And try to, and try to balance the heart and, and the mind piece. I, I make a distinction between the uh, will of the ego and the will of the heart. And I think that we're dominated across the globe by this will of the ego. And that that's related to, to patriarchy, et cetera, and just how things have evolved or, or devolved, <laughs> however you want to put it. Continue and the, the will, <laughs> yeah, that's my opinion. <laughs> but um, the will of the heart is, is bringing women more into the leadership positions with connecting to the heart and, and men, men practicing mindfulness too allows them to connect with their own hearts as well. It's mindfulness meditation is wonderful for both genders. Um, I just, the heart activity, and that's part of more at the forefront of, of people's behavior. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, yeah, definitely we can all benefit from, mindfulness and taking that moment to check in with ourselves and really come at things from a more considered standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mindfulness, they say um, mindfulness is two wings of, of a bird. You have kindness on one wing and awareness in the other wing. And so the intention is to practice kindness and awareness at the same time. Mm. So if you're out of balance and you're practicing awareness too much, the um, outcome of that can be judgmentalness, criticism towards self and others, that sort of thing. If you're out of balance and you're practicing too much kindness without the awareness, you can fall into a, a victim kind of role, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So when you're practicing both of them together, um, it brings you the more centeredness, the, the peace, and the, and the wise, heart-centered decision-making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's totally... also great for... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Jen. That just makes sense to me. <laughs> it's associated with spirituality, mindfulness, meditation. But I have found that it is incredibly helpful in, in a business environment, um, personally and professionally, I've seen it um, individually and collectively. It helps a lot with mental clarity, uh, paying attention to detail, conflict resolution, listening, communication. And there have even been studies um, between mindfulness and creativity. So it, it's even been studied and, and seen to enhance creativity. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. And the, you know the other thing that um, we haven't discussed yet, but I know that that you believe in as I do, I think, um, is the value of gratitude as 
in business and in life. Right. And this is this is also very interesting. I mean, if in the spiritual community, what you'll what people hear often is be in gratitude and you'll receive more abundance. So that's kind of messaging in, in the spiritual community. In the science community, in the, the psychology community, they have even done studies about gratitude. And these are primarily correlational studies. So they see relationships between people who, ha- who are in gratitude and who practice gratitude, and then elevated senses of happiness, elevated resiliency, and increased dopamine. So your hormones. So being in gratitude is linked to an increased surge of dopamine. And um, there was even a study done on um, Vietnam vets. So those who scored higher in gratitude had lower rates of PTSD. Wow. So that's pretty phenomenal. And, and you know, this mindfulness meditation, boundary setting, uh, gratitude, forgiveness, the science community is taking a look at this and studies are being done. So they're finding all of these behavioral, biological benefits or soft skills or, you know, something yeah. that is not relevant. Yeah, the, the whole soft skills discussion is, is one that I encounter fairly often and it cracks me up because, you know, that's what makes our world go round. You may not want to accept it. You may want to knock it down as just a something with air quotes, but uh, soft skills are what makes us human. You have humans working at your companies. They're, they're all humans. So I think the trick is really balance. And I'm going to get back to that balance thing, like men and women working together in leadership positions. I mean, right now, it's funny, I I worked for a very, very large bank for five years, and I formed this women in technology group. Mm -hmm. And HR gave us funding for this group because it was considered, you know, like a minority group. So HR gave us some money for this group, formed this group. And then, and then one guy says, not one guy, I don't know, maybe there are a couple guys. They're like, we want a men in technology group and we want HR to pay for it. Look at all these women at the company. They're not a minority. So HR tells me that they're pulling the funding for the group because there are plenty of women working at the bank. Mm -hmm. And I said, so tell me HR, um, give me a percentage of the women who are uh, in leadership positions and who make the top salaries. (laughs) I never heard back from them, Janet. Did you get your money? (laughs) No, No. I called, I emailed, they wouldn't, they stopped responding to me. Mm -hmm. And so what, what ended up happening is that business lines, like they, you could get, people to sponsor you inside the company. That's how big the company was. It was like 150,000 people at the time. So we got funding, but not through like an administrative channel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but I just, that, that's the point is that there, there are a lot of women in companies. They just play the supportive role. Yes. So the balance piece, you were talking about the soft skills piece. So that's important. And doing the metrics and, and, um, you know, measuring the financial impacts. That's important too. I I call this the triple bottom line, Mm -hmm. people, profit, planet. So that's a more balanced 
perspective of, of where focus should be on. It's all about the balance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now, you know, with, with conscious businesses growing and the idea, the concept of conscious business being adopted more and more, then those soft skills are actually moving up the channel. It doesn't mean women are necessarily getting paid equal amounts yet, but we are starting to see a more balanced style. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see or to hear from you what you think about how some men are actually moving in that direction as well. They're adopting soft skills in their management style as well. It's not mm -hmm. just women that are allowing and using gra gratitude and, you know, bringing emotional intelligence forward. Some of these skills that we're talking about, I'll, I'll give you like a handful of like success, successful female leadership skills. Um, the collaboration, they tend to be more democratic as opposed to command and control. They uh, typically have better communication and they focus on the interpersonal relationships more so than the um, task oriented type of model. So that's kind of the, the profile of, of the success factors of female leadership. I will say, though, that a male can practice those naturally already. It doesn't mean that every female leader leads that way. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that every male leader is the opposite. So it, it, it depends. It's just a generalization like anything else. Like you can, with stereotyping, you can apply that stereotype to a group of, a group of people, but you can't really apply a stereotype to an individual. You have to approach the individual as they are, um, you know, with an open mind to be fair and accurate, right? Um, so there are men already practicing you know, maybe a more democratic, open communication type of leadership style. It's just not as common, right? And the younger generation, the younger generation, I'm X-Gen. So what is this? There's the, the millennials <laughs> and the, what are they called? Gen Y or something? Yeah, the, <laughs> the gap keeps getting wider and wider. I'm having, I'm having a harder time keeping up with these labels. I'm a but, boomer. Um, I'm I too old. <laughs> I won't hold that against you. Thank you. <laughs> Just Thank you. Don't hold my crazy X-Gen against me. <laughs> but um, I think the, the younger generations are just generally more conscious about the planet, about having more balanced approach. Um, I mean, I have my own opinions about millennials in business. <laughs> I won't get into that because I don't want to get too off topic. <laughs> but I think the younger generations are just more conscientious. I think that's very true. And I think it has to do with a change in our culture as they were growing up. Um, and what I find really interesting is that when you look at a company that has older management, let's just pick on boomers since we can, um, <laughs> they are now Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Millennial, whatever you want to call them. The younger generations are asking for more in the way that they're managed. They want to be in a collaborative environment. They want more freedom. They want more quote unquote soft skills incorporated. And initially 
management pushed back on that really hard as no, we have to do it this way. And they got very, very autocratic about it. But over time, management has started to realize the benefits of a mindful approach to work. They've started to see the benefits of conscious business and to bring those um, tools Mm -hmm. into the workplace. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It is. And that gets a little bit to uh, work-life balance. Um, Like the mindfulness is, is very much about wellness too. We haven't even talked about the health benefits of, of mindfulness. Um, it, for instance, here are some examples. A mind, practicing mindfulness meditation slows down your respiratory system. Mm-hmm. So that means that your heart rate goes down um, and your, your blood pressure goes down, which then also translates to a lower risk of stroke, heart attack, heart disease, Okay, so that's that's pretty profound just on its own. Mm-hmm. But then it also enhances, increases the good hormones like serotonin and endorphins. Okay, and then it also helps you sleep. So it, it increases melanin, melatonin, melanin, melatonin. melatonin. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, melatonin. Uh, increases the melatonin, so it helps you sleep, and it reduces cortisol, which is mm-hmm. the stress hormone, which can wreak havoc on your body. So it's it's and and it also activates eight regions of your brain, uh, particularly in the prefrontal cortex, which the the mindfulness community refers to as the more um, cognitive, more uh, developed part of the the brain. So it's wonderful for people's health. And when you have a balanced company, when you have uh, healthier, smarter people, it it helps uh, with employee engagement and retention. It can also help you attract younger, well, younger is not necessarily better, (laughs) but people who are more more consciously oriented, right? You attract those kind of employees Mm -hmm. and it's a benefit. You know, if you think about benefits that you offer your employees, this is a great benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And as we are seeing these dynamics change, we are seeing different age groups going, oh, okay, I want that. I want to be managed that way. I want to work in a company that I feel respects the employees. And especially now, you know, with COVID and Black Lives Matter and politics and all of these other things that are going on, we really need an environment at work, even when we're working remotely, that supports us. We want to feel as though we're doing work that matters and that we get respect for the work that we're doing. And that's changed a lot since, you know, the 50s, when it was just like, okay, go to work. And, you know, when you're done, you'll get a pension and you can retire. We don't have that anymore. So we have to be happier at work. Right. And there's a lot less um, financial security, right? I mean, the only time you get any kind of um, package is if you work for the government. Those kinds of things rarely exist anymore. Right. Uh, tighter, t- tighter timelines. Uh, technology r- makes things faster, uh, higher demands. So there's just more and more... There's 
less security and more demands, and which is very stressful. So the mindfulness meditation really helps with the, the managing of the stress. It's an, I think it's an antidote. It's, it's, it's what you can do to cope with the, you know, the crazy demands, the crazy environment. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And it, it does allow you, whether you're doing a full-on meditation or just that three-breath practice where you check in with yourself before you go into a meeting or before you make a phone call or before you send an email, taking that pause allows you to collect yourself and not be so frenetic in how you work and actually improves your productivity because now you can focus. Whereas before you were an ant lost in the desert, you know, trying to figure out where'd everybody go? (laughs) You know, it's, um, it's challenging, but it is amazing how once we get grounded, it changes the way that we look at work and at life. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Very much so. It's interesting because part of what I do is I also write and after meditating for many years, I've really noticed that it's helped me catch errors. Mm. And I just notice I pick up on things. I make fewer mistakes. Um, I see big picture details. You know, it just, mindfulness really opens you up. So and this is this is another reason why it's counterculture um, in, in Western society. Again, I'm going to make a generalization is that we try to fill our space, whether it's buying products and goods, mm-hmm. whether it's overeating, whether it's binge watching TV, which is OK sometimes, <laughs> but you just don't want to live your life <laughs> that way. So we're constantly filling our space and the and the mindfulness meditation is about creating more space. Mm. So slowing down and creating more space so you can see more clearly. You can get more information from your inner wisdom, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why. Yeah, and that wisdom is innate. We all have it. Mm-hmm. We just don't yes. always pay attention to it. Exactly, Janet. I'm glad you said that. People really need to know that, that everyone has access to wisdom something that's maybe bigger than they are. We're all interconnected. Um, There's a lot of mystery out there, but when you kind of tune into that, you connect. You connect and you get information, and we all have access to it. Mindfulness in particular, I love it because it's so accessible. It's um, in meditation in general, the idea is to keep coming back to one thing. Uh, so you're flexing your consciousness muscle and your focus muscle. So some, some um, meditations, they have a mantra or whatever. But with the mindfulness, it's, it's about breath, your breath, refocusing on your breathing. And because we need to breathe in order to survive, <laughs> our breath is always there for us, right? All it's, the tail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so accessibility of it, I think, is really appealing Yeah, it really, I mean, it focuses on awareness and it's awareness of yourself. It's awareness of others. And a lot of times we go through our days in a busy office, in a crazy space, driving the car, where we're not really fully aware of what's going on. And when we can bring that back, when we can bring that focus back and be aware, we can get so much more done because we're not all over the place. 
And I think that's something that people don't understand about meditation and mindfulness at the same time. They're like, oh, that takes too much. I don't have time for that. I can't tell you how many times people have said, I don't have time for that. And I'm like, well, you just did. And you wasted it saying, I don't have time for that. <laughs> right. I think there are a lot of myths about meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, people think they don't have enough time, like what you said. Exactly. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I also think another myth is people think they have to be in isolation. It's somehow, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be on a cushion in a monastery for months on end. You have to be a monk. You have to be this enlightened being, um, that sort of thing. And that is completely, completely false. Yeah. Um, m- mindfulness meditation, we talked about earlier, how accessible it is, how it can be done in the middle of an activity. It's also a practice. So... It's, it's not something that's achieved by doing it for several months on end. It's a day-to-day practice, and it's just this refocusing on your present moment experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And uh, the isolation piece, this is another important piece, is that it teaches you how to engage with others and engage with yourself, how you respond to your life experience. So it's, it's, a, it's an intervention and it's a tool to help you cope with stress, cope with life, and, and interact with other people. Mm, mm, that's, that's a really great statement right there. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they call it a Sangha community. They talk a lot about community and how important it is to have a safety net, people around you, you know, if, particularly if you're trying to heal from a very difficult experience or, or change behaviors, people with PTSD, addiction, all of those things, the community is such a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we forget that we are, as humans, and I'm an introvert, so this is a hard thing to say, but we forget that, um, we are all part of a community. And even though we may like crawl back in our cave once in a while and hide, we crave community. And having that sangha, whether that sangha is just your friends, your family, or a wide net of people, when you're working in an organization, having people that you know you can rely on and trust and go to with a question, that's a sangha too. So bringing all of that internal into the organization and creating that sense of psychological safety is really the basis of what a sangha can be. Yeah, I really like what you say, Janet, about how, you know, um, a community can be people you work with. It can be your family. It could be a virtual group. You know, you're, you're creating community by doing this podcast as well, and you're making it available to people virtually so anyone can access it and um, people with an Internet connection, right? Um, but I think it's really important, particularly during this pandemic, when there is inherent isolation because of the physical distancing. Mm -hmm. So reaching out is even more important and joining communities, virtual communities, um, connecting face to face, like using the, using zoom or other video conferencing that, that is so important right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the alone together meme exists 
because we do feel alone. And yes, people are at home alone right now and don't have anyone with them, but that doesn't mean they're alone. And, you know, it's a really important part of our community to reach out to those people and to support them in whatever we, whatever level we can, because these are times for us all to step up. Another little piece, I'm bringing it back to mindfulness meditation again, even when you are sitting still by yourself, you are practicing equanimity, which I think is so complicated sounding. (laughs) It's very much about losing the ego as either you feel that you are less and that the unity is the connection piece. And by practicing the mindfulness meditation, you feel a unity with other people. Um, equanimity also means a, a great sense of centeredness and peace, particularly in difficult situations. But I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Equanimity. To me, equanimity really is about accepting what is and being able mm-hmm. to allow it to be what it is. So it's a very um, important way to look at, especially in this time, to be able to just, okay, this is what is. I can't fix it. And fighting against it is not going to help me. If we want to be resilient, we have to be able to let some things go. So, you know, I think... Um, that is a way for us to move forward through this without dragging ourselves down. Mm. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with you and I would love for people to know how to get in touch with you, how to get the book and just where they can. Yeah. Okay. So Janet, first I want to express my gratitude to you. Um, not only for the opportunity to speak today, but also because of what you're doing for people. You're creating a sense of community. You're giving them information. You're giving them knowledge. You're spreading information about mindful work. So it's a beautiful thing. I really appreciate. Thank you. I have a website, which is my name. It's You're welcome. Absolutely. HeatherGwaltney.com. You can also join BeWellServices.net. So it's BeWellServices.net. My book is available on my website. It's on Amazon, but you can access the Amazon page through the website. I also have some freebies, and I will send you a chapter on boundaries. There's a chapter from my book on boundaries, and I'll make that available to listeners free uh, to download. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. I'm I'm grateful for that and this conversation. (laughs) I will put all of that in the blog post on my website at JanetFelts.com. So please check it out. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, thank you for your patience. All right. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you. Take care. Be well. Stay healthy. You too. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at com, and please 
send me feedback there too, or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.